Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Creativity Sucks, a podcast from Creative Review Magazine, where we look at life in the ad and design industries. In this episode, we're talking about the subject of pay. Now, talking about money is difficult in most industries, but can feel especially tricky in the creative world, where it's often assumed you are working for love more than money. So in this episode of the podcast, we're going to discuss pay from a range of different angles. Everything from whether companies should be transparent about pay to whether you should work for free and how we can fix the gender and ethnicity pay gaps that exist. I'm Eliza Williams, Creative Reviews Editor, and I'll be your host for this show, where I'm joined as always by three guests from the industry. This time on my panel, I have Kat Howe, founder and ECD at branding agency Howe & Howe, Sachini Imboldenia, who is ECD at content agency Nemarin, and Stuart Alfwaite Noel. CCO at ad agency Creature. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey. Hey. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so to kick us off, I'm interested just to gauge my panel's comfort with the topic of money. I'm guessing that as you've all agreed to be on the show, you're basically fine with talking about it. But I just wanted to see what you really think. Uh, Satch, what do you think about talking about this subject? I mean, it's definitely an uncomfortable subject because money is very personal. I grew up in a working class household and we didn't have a lot of money. And working in an industry that still seems to be dominated by people that have come from a lot of money has always made me feel like a bit of an outsider. There's always someone out there that, for example, gets paid more than you or has less debt than you or a nicer house and better holidays, etc. And I think that when we talk about pay, it's not just about money earned for work done. It's about the things that that money is needed for, whether it's rent or mortgages or childcare or bills. Money touches every part of our lives. And it being so personal is, I guess, what makes it feel so uncomfortable to talk about. Totally. And your point about also your background and, I mean, your family's way of talking about money and all those things all play into it, don't they? Yeah. And I think it's just quite scary. As someone that comes from no money, being in an industry with people that come from quite a lot of money, there's quite an imbalance, I think, still. Definitely is. Stu, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's funny. I was just thinking, you know, what we're actually saying there in regards to sort of family. It's funny that because it took me back to sort of 20 odd years ago when I first came down to something that I'm from the Northeast. And we didn't really talk about money in my family. I mean, everybody knew how much my dad earned or my mum earned or whatnot. It was not really a discussed thing. And then I always remember coming down and being at a dinner once, you know, in with um, a sort of a mate and his dad going, describing someone as, you know, earning a hundred grand and driving a BMW. And it was like, whoa, money suddenly had kind of, you know, became some kind of symbol or some kind of status uh, within that. And I do think there's a, 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 well, at least there was a a particular point of divide in that regard. So money's always been, yeah, a a slightly weird thing. And in through my career, it's been a, uh, definitely a slightly sort of mystical kind of um, thing that people don't really talk about. People don't really discuss. I mean, certainly in, in, in my career, any kind of pay rises would kind of come sort of out of the blue. Do you know what I mean? Would kind of arrive, do you know what I mean, when we weren't expecting or, or ideally when we were expecting it. But, you know, it was never really discussed as in a sort of structural way, never really sort of, you know, talked about in, a, in, an, in an open and, I guess, honest and healthy um, way. But so yeah, it, it's definitely kind of, there's, there's definitely a discomfort to a certain extent around the discussion around money in, in many, many ways. That sense of sort of slight secrecy can also can create problems, right? I think that's, that's definitely 
part of what we'll talk about today. Um, Kat, why don't you come in here and, and say what your experiences have been? Yeah, interesting, Steve, that you mentioned the family thing, because even within my own family, we have very different attitudes towards it. My dad is English and really squeamish, incredibly squeamish about talking about money. But my mum, being Portuguese, is a lot more open and frank. So I don't know if it's a cultural thing, um, potentially, but I don't know. It's interesting because I, I am one of three sisters. And even within my sisters and I, we have different attitudes. Um, and my little sister doesn't like to talk about it at all. My old sister is a bit, a bit more open. So it's, it is definitely more nuanced and complicated. And I think it could come down to ultimately how you know confident or how secure you feel in your own wealth and status in your own you know your own world and um i think perhaps you know the more people feel comfortable maybe to talk about it the more they feel they're equal to their peers or on the same boat it might help you know there's this um idea that you know if you knew what other people were earning perhaps it would open things up a little bit more and people would discuss it more potentially I wanted to see whether you all felt whether attitudes had changed a bit during your your career i mean i certainly feel like um Nowadays, there's much more of a movement towards even having like a pay on job adverts before, which was something that I feel was never done and is still in the UK. I don't think done all that much. And also knowing what your colleagues are earning, a sort of transparency there. Again, I still feel like that that can be in a veil of secrecy, but I feel there's definitely been progression in terms of that. Satch, I'll come back to you. Do you feel that people are... are are discussing this more maybe than they did when you first joined the creative industries? I think they are to a degree, but I think unfortunately what we've seen over the last 20 years is more of a kind of fragmentation of roles within the creative industry. You don't, for example, just get a camera camera operator anymore. You get a shooting producer director. Graphic designers are sort of expected to be multidisciplinary and are required to be good at copy and UX and UI and have basic video editing skills. And I've seen a lot of job descriptions that try to sort of cover every single base and ask for what is effectively a number of different job roles in one, but for the same salary as one. And I think finding a single person that can genuinely do all of those things well is a bit like finding a needle in a haystack. And it makes it much harder to recruit. It means that no one is an expert at anything anymore because they're just spinning too many plates. And these mammoth job descriptions make it really sort of intimidating for candidates to apply. Having said that, I do think we're beginning to see a backlash against the expectations of too much stuff from one person, particularly with the hiring of Gen Z, who expect much more in terms of salary and much less in terms of workload than when I first started out. They have a very sort of different work ethic, which can present challenges to employers I guess flexible working didn't exist when I started and I was expected to work excessive amounts of overtime without any sort of additional pay I never had the balls to even complain about it because I felt so lucky and grateful to have even been in the industry so I sort of really do applaud Gen Z who have got this kind of confidence to set these boundaries which I think are really important yeah totally what you're saying resonates very much with my experience that there was this sense in which you were you were lucky to be be through the door in the first place and anything else that came was was a, a bonus really but um Stu how does this how have you found this within advertising because advertising um is you know usually seen as being the, the better paid end of the kind of commercial creative industries that often people might go towards advertising because they feel like they will actually make a decent wage but Satch's point about job roles changing obviously that's been happening there too how has that been playing out 
do you think? I think actually just to speak more broadly about kind of creative pay before diving into advertising specifically, the, the, the difficulty with pay is that it's such a, it's not a particularly sort of objective thing within within kind of creative roles. It often is dependent on sort of a subjective value, you know, bosses will put on you and your abilities and your value to that agency versus, you know, and if you're in account management, there's a bit more of a, you know, objective sort of steps up through the sort of the jobs you have going from account exec to account manager to account director to business director and so forth. And with that comes a sort of a specific kind of pay band with it, as it, as it were. We've attempted to, and I'm not, not attempted to, sort of successfully, I think, done that within creative at long last, in which we've started to band kind of um, pay to specific roles. And then we're now having that open conversation with with our employers and you know, with our, our creative department. They get a sense of what progression looks like not just from a kind of a creative career perspective, but from a from a paid perspective too. In advertising more generally, you're right, it's definitely a, a kind of one of the, the creative careers that is is better paid. That's not to say it still doesn't need some, some demystifying and some kind of honest conversations being had. It's funny, it's difficult for me to kind of comment you know, purely on this because for the last 12 years I've run you know, my agency and therefore you know what everyone gets paid. <laughs> so um, So it's difficult to know exactly how those kind of conversations are had, I mean, within um, the agency and within the department, I, I think sort of a, a more honest and sort of structured and uh, bringing a bit more objectivity into the way in which pay is is um, is, is kind of uh, dished out to, to a certain extent within within a yeah ultimately subjective kind of creative creatively sort of judged roles is is, is probably something that needs to be uh, more widely considered and discussed. Kat, it seems a good moment to bring you in here because um, I think you've done that within your studio. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's handy for me because I suppose I set up my studio three three years ago, um, almost to the day, almost to the day today, and it really helped us bake in some sort of core principles into pay, particularly, and have a sort of new vision for our for our studio. So, uh, yeah, how and how we have a, a tiered, transparent salary system where basically everyone knows how much everyone else earns even how much equity management have as well in the business, things like that. So we have a big report that everyone sees. We have a spreadsheet, actually, which we have on our Slack channel where everyone can see everyone else's um, tiers. And we have fixed brackets, which are set based on experience. So this is, um, again, to the point, which is quite really interesting point that Sash mentioned earlier about, you know, how experience now is, um, well, it's quite loaded. There are some people with a lot more have come from different backgrounds and done other stuff before they've come into the creative industries and whatnot. But what we've done here is based on experience, but also um, we make sure that those brackets are are competitive. So we've done our own research in the industry and we work with recruiters to make sure that, you know, we know that that's the asking price. And um, basically means that girls get paid the same as boys, um, depending on their experience. And no one has to worry that someone else is getting paid more than them, which I think is a really big, big deal. I mean, we are very, very... Um, female heavy team um i think there's like 70 percent girls so i think that's really important and it's been something that you know people have, have mentioned to us in in our appraisals has been really good it mitigates that but we also make sure we have quarterly check-ins and biannual appraisals as well so that people can discuss moving up to the next tier and they don't feel that they're stuck there and they can prepare for that i think a good thing uh, is probably the fact that there is there isn't a range between each tier as well because i think the minute that you have a range, potentially there is that option for then someone with a little bit more confidence or, you know, someone, you know, who is just a different sort of personality to someone else might just be able to, you know, ask for 
a bit more. We've tried to lock it down to these set um, tier brackets just to also mitigate that and make sure that uh, no one has to worry that someone could potentially be getting more from them, even if they're doing the same job. But yeah, in terms of impact for that, everyone is open and I think people are happy. We do do satisfaction surveys to make sure that they are. And it means we can be more upfront on our job ads as well. And we actually save time because it's like, this is the job. This is the, this is the salary, you know, let's get down to business. Let's not faff around just, you know, with this, like, no, with this, like either a range or with a, with just no salary at all, which is quite common. And I just think completely bonkers. Weirdly, it doesn't mean that we talk about money more in the studio, actually, um, which it just means that hopefully we've just eliminated some friction. So, <laughs> Is there any downsides to it? Because it, it feels really refreshing to be so open. Yeah, of course. Always, always some downsides. Um, obviously, with our team in LA, you know, salaries over there are very different. So we're having to work out a different uh, brackets and brackets which also everyone's happy with so that's something but also you know uh, other agencies um who we might might be competing with in terms of talent they know how much exactly that we're paying people you know if you know then you can always add a little bit extra on and maybe try and sweeten the deal with someone potentially but I, i'm not actually that worried about that and um it's never really been motivation i think that it's more just about the transparency which i think people value um and also we one where i have personally is that people might you know say they're okay with it and actually be a bit like oh god like you know so and so we have asked people many times and everyone seems that they're really on board and actually they say it's really refreshing so i'll i'll take that <laughs> totally such does, does do you feel you've ever experienced something as as transparent as that I'm absolutely fascinated by the way that Stu and Kat both run their agencies. Um, I think it's incredible. I've never worked anywhere where pay has been transparent. And I think it's really interesting to hear how your models work. Um, I definitely think that we should be much more transparent about how people get paid as an industry. And I think that having pay scales in a similar way to the NHS model has sort of clear salary bands to reflect an individual's seniority or expertise, I think is really important. I feel like that should be kind of industry standard and you should have industry agreed pay scales and that would make it just so much easier for recruitment in terms of setting expectations of what people can get paid and it can help companies to budget appropriately for the skills needed but it also even helps kind of university students and graduates just get an idea of how much you can earn in roles because I think when I was studying you just had no idea a on what most jobs were in the creative industry but b how much you could potentially get paid by going down certain routes um, and I think having that sort of transparency industry-wide would be really beneficial to lots of people so I applaud both Kat and Stu because that's fantastic. I feel that I feel the need to jump in at this point though and say with that what what Kat is doing in regards to kind of the absolute the actual revelation of and the revealing of um individuals that we we don't do I mean and that I am as sort of in awe of, of that as an approach as you said but I mean it was funny when we did do our first sort of reveal of the sort of the salary brackets to to the to the creative team you could tell that everyone was sort of just doing the figures in their heads do you know what I mean even even right right up to the sort of the cco brackets and then sort of looking at me going i now know how much you earn so it's funny actually because actually what you're doing Kat, is you're just going that one step further which i think is probably kind of an assumption people are jumping in and making but i do a lot of talks to schools and you know we get a lot of um kids coming in and and, and it's there's always one little clever little clever one that always goes how much do you earn 
you know, how much is, it's always the question, how much do you earn then? Do you know what I mean? How much can I earn in this? And it's like, and you can sort of, you, you can tell the one who's going to ask that question. They always do. And it's, it's genuinely refreshing to be able to, at long last, kind of point towards a sort of, a, a, rather than definitively tell them how much I earn, to sort of to point at the kind of the, the earning potential across kind of creative disciplines within, within advertising. There's also that socialist ideal example from 2015. I don't know if you guys remember when Dan Price, who was the CEO of Gravity Payments in Seattle, cut his own salary to 70K and then made sure that every single employee, no matter what role they were in in the company, also got paid 70K, um, which was just quite an interesting concept that I'm not really sure about. And they all cobbled together a few years later and bought him a car, I think. I, I remember there was, a, there was, <laughs> there was that story had legs for, for a few years, actually. Yeah, it was just a, a very kind of interesting way of doing things. Everyone in the company had the same amount, no matter what role you were in. I suppose that feels slightly gimmicky. It's hard to see how that would play out. I, what I feel like I want to see, and this maybe comes to things like uh, the pay gaps that we see for gender and ethnicity, is I feel like I want to see a solid system that that really is um, is possible to kind of play out everywhere. Because, I mean, Satch, I know you've been doing something recently about ethnicity pay gap, which, which I think gets less uh, airtime maybe than the, than the gender pay gap. But both of them are, you know... It's, the issues are equal. It feels like these things get talked about, but don't necessarily change. Would, would you agree with that? I mean, I personally have a lot to say on this topic. In a nutshell, I mean, both the gender and ethnicity pay gap are getting worse. The latest data from major players shows that women have a pay gap of 15%, which is higher than the UK average of 9%. And professionals from minority ethnic backgrounds are on average paid 16% less than their white counterparts in the UK. To add to that, only one in 10 people in the creative industries are over 45. So having just turned 40 myself and being a woman of colour, it makes me quite nervous and think that I might not even have a job in five years. And these reports, they just make me so angry because regardless of whether it's getting worse or better, we have to acknowledge the fact that the gap shouldn't actually be there at all. I've worked with companies that reported on the gender pay gap every year. And despite having a female CEO, the gap never closed. And ethnicity pay gap reporting still isn't even mandatory in the UK. Um, and that's what the amazing Shiraz Gulsha and the People Like Us team are currently trying to petition against. Every year, companies that do report look at their figures and resolve to try harder and work better. And in the years that they would say, close the gap by a nominal 1% or 1.5%, they will trumpet those figures as if they deserve some sort of praise. And we've seen these types of figures reported all the time but it feels like we've become sort of immune or desensitized to what they actually mean. So if we take a second to remember what they do actually mean, when a company reports that it has a gender pay gap, it's essentially saying that the company is institutionally sexist. And when that company reports that it has an ethnicity pay gap, it's saying, hey, we're a racist company. And that's just in black and white. Now, the Equality Act 2010 says that it's illegal to discriminate against a person based on their gender, race, age, sex, abilities, and so on. So fundamentally, these companies are printing in black and white that they are breaking the law by discriminating against people of colour and women. And we're just supposed to accept that fact. I'm supposed to celebrate or be proud of the fact that I work in a racist and sexist industry. If these companies went on Twitter, and used a racist or sexist slur, there would of course be uproar. 
is it more harmful to be called a rude word on social media or to be underpaid by an average of 10k a year let's say or are they both just as bad as each other it just um i'm sorry i know i can go, go on about this forever but i just feel like we need to start calling companies out for what this really is and it's fundamentally discrimination all pay gaps need to close end of and companies that refuse to close them should be named and shamed. It should be illegal for companies to continue to have any sort of pay gap and they should be fined millions or whatever the cost of the difference in pay is until they close them. No one should have to accept discrimination of any form. Um, I mean, there have been reports of police visiting the houses of people who have used race, racial or sexist abuse on social media. If we refuse to accept it on our social media platforms, why the hell should we be accepting it in our pay packet? It's just not acceptable. I'm interested to think, maybe interesting to go to you, Stu. Why does this happen, do you think? Is it, because um, I know there's, I think it's really interesting what you say, Satch, because it's, because what you're saying is that we, we've almost got this situation now where we use nice words for these things. And it's almost as if people just say, oh, okay, we're looking at this. It's it's enough. Is it purely down to that? Are there other reasons that can be given? Like, are men better, are white men better at asking for money, et cetera, et cetera? Are there... Or is it just bias, pure and simple? And then what do we actually do to stop it? Because I think your point of calling out is great, Satch. But Stu, what, what are your thoughts on it? How to answer that? I, I mean, I, I, I genuinely wouldn't be able to in a, in a, in a, in a, in a smart or intelligent or, or smart way. I think to speak to the sort of the, I mean, where, where all of my energy goes is on entry level pay and, 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 a, and a need to sort of try and sort that out because... Uh, and a general sort of uh, uh, a push towards uh, getting living wage accreditation across the kind of creative industry. But like just to, to attempt to sort of to, to talk to it, I would say the sort of the, I mean, again, and who am I to kind of really kind of comment on this being a, a white middle-aged, you know, bloke basically, but the sort of the, in, in regards to kind of what, what we do, I guess it's just the best, the best sort of way I can, I, I can talk to it is, is with us, there's no discrimination in regards to kind of the pay that um, it's handed out. It is entirely, you know, based on sort of the value to um, the, the agency, do you know what I mean? And the value kind of we put on those individuals. Um, we don't, and we never have sort of um, discriminated against in that, in that regard. To, to your point, Eliza, is it, uh, is it definitively just as a result of the, the agency or the place being discriminatory? I don't think so, but there's, but the, the black and whiteness is difficult to kind of disagree with Sachs's point. I think there quite possibly is a a kind of uh, a sort of a gendered approach to to how someone kind of approaches money. I think you know previously, yeah, you know perhaps the sort of the suggestion being that you know men are in in some way sort of you know white men are in some way feel more entitled. To, to 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 want more money, to have more money, to need more money, and as a result, that kind of that chutzpah, that kind of like confidence, whatever you want to call it, that it, 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 you know, it forces it forces the hand. Do you know what I mean to, to to pay them more? But even then, you know, that's not been my experience of it in the last twelve years. Probably as a result of we're in an agency that has been um, regularly, you know, sort of 70 percent um, uh, female to male, uh, you know, ratio. So. You know, I've I've had as many <laughs> awkward, difficult conversations with someone coming up and and demanding more money um, as, as, as a woman, as, as it been a man, as it been um, a, a person of color, as it been someone white, and and that has happened many many times uh, over the course of my view has always been we need to s sort of start the kind of conversation at, at entry level personally, and I and I and I honestly think class is uh, and social mobility is is 
perhaps one of the, the biggest things to, to, to deal with, in my kind of humble opinion, which in turn will hopefully kind of correct things, um, uh, you know, in the in the kind of the coming years as we start to invite and diversify um, kind of entry level um, creatives in across across the whole industry, not just advertising. And I think that is is where at least my focus has been in the last sort of um, eight or nine years. Interestingly, on on the gender um, issue, actually, I think whenever I see job ads or job applications, it's very very common for for men to um, apply for jobs that they're actually more underqualified for. Um, whereas I tend to find that the women, any women who apply for, for jobs, are more aware or realistic of, of like where they are, and 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 so. This is why we also are always trying to aim to promote in our agency at least trying to aim to promote people before they ask because you know that's our responsibility to do that, not it's not their responsibility. So I, I feel like there's always men always try to yeah apply for jobs that are definitely you know punching above above their weight. Um I find. Perhaps it's easier for white men to ask for pay rises because they tend to be in more top tier and senior positions. And then, you know, that's another can of worms, I think, because it's um like you, like Stu said, you know, they it's more expected or they're more um, demanding. And I think ambition is great, but ambition has to be great for everyone and shared by everyone. And I think you have to almost start, you know, being really like this is why we're so sort of militant with the structure we have. That you almost try and weed out that um, you, you try and promote the ambition where it is and try and enable that ambition um, uh, where you can, um, but also make sure that, you know, everyone's fair. So we have, we've had to turn down people really, really excellently, wonderfully creative and brilliant people who have just asked too much and um, who wanted to work for us, but said, you know, I'm only working for this much amount of money. And we've just had to say, no, you know, this is the tier for this bracket and it has to be the same for everyone. So we have lost people and these people tend to be uh, not exclusively, but almost all, um, you know, white guys who are just like, no, you know, I, you know, this is, this is how much I'm worth. And again, it's, it's good to know how much you're worth, but everyone has to be on board for, for something to change. And everyone has to see the problem. Um, so, Sash, I think, like, gosh, what you were saying just earlier, that is really staggering. And I think just putting it in that light that you put it in just makes it feel just so much more unjust. Yeah, I just I think people just don't look at it in the right way because I think the companies use kind of data as a, yay, we've reduced our gap by 1%, so we're doing everything. Solution so simple. Like, if you're a company and you look and see you've got a gender pay gap, I don't know, let's say of 2% or whatever it is, then why wouldn't you just, increase all the women's pay by that percentage or decrease all the men's pay by that percentage and therefore you'll then have it like the gap will be closed like it's so in my mind it's so straightforward so I don't understand why any gaps exist still yes I think um it's interesting the transparency thing that the, the setup that that you have Kat it, it feels like that does just eliminate this problem because it feels like um once people all know what each other earn and so on you know, there may be a lot of awkward conversations for those who are making these decisions, but those, you know, those conversations are necessary. Um, I'm interested actually to turn, though, just because of time, to the question of of people entering the industry, because I think, again, this is something that has enormously changed in my time. Um, Satch, you talked a bit about Gen Z and their approach, which I, I would agree seems different and refreshing. I just wondered, have we eliminated the thing of the... Um, unpaid intern and the working for free nature that was very present when I joined the creative industry. 
have we got rid of that? Is that, you know, can people coming into the industry feel confident they're going to be paid from the start for their work? Um, Stu, maybe talk a bit about what you've done in this area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the short answer is, is, is no. No, I mean, no, absolutely not. We've not eliminated it. It still exists. Um, uh, whether or not it is entirely free based is, you know, but certainly below minimum wage, let alone living wage kind of continues to exist in, in kind of a lot of kind of creative industries. Yeah, I mean, like you talk a bit about it. You know, eight years ago, I set a place, thing called the Placement Poverty Pledge, which was an attempt to get people in advertising, uh, creatives entering advertising to be paid the living wage and to not be sort of stretched beyond three months in terms of uh, the time spent within that agency. Because at that point, the, the majority of agencies, the vast, vast, vast majority of agencies we're talking, I mean, 95% were paying below living wage, many paying below minimum wage, some not paying at all, and then stretching those placements on. Um, long, time, long long, short of it, it, it um, yeah, every agency now is pretty much signed up to that. And um, to, to come into advertising as a junior, you know, creative, you will be paid living wage and not be stretched beyond the three months if you are speak to me about it because there's lots and lots of agencies officially signed up to that we, we attempted to do that with the design industry a few years later and actually you know elijah remembers talking a lot about that and uh you know uh, specifically with uh, uh craig oldman um, uh, and mark bonnet and and um and unfortunately um it, it went went nowhere because design at that point in time was was an industry that was effectively needed free or needed very, 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 very cheap, cheap labor kind of coming into it. That was the way the business was structured. Then we attempted to look into fashion. We tend to look into, and it just, it goes on and on and on. And it's extraordinary. Now, you know, interestingly, part of a, um, an action group um, uh, in which we are attempting to make London living wage um, a city um, uh, sit on the creative and cultural um, um, action group for that, which is run by Living Wage and, and Citizens UK. And, and it's amazing. You know, I've learned just be, being on that a couple of weeks ago across our industry in, in advertising, 21 agencies are living wage accredited and in design, eight eight design agencies, eight design agencies are living wage accredited. It's kind of shocking, right? You know what I mean? That actually we we are we are in a profitable kind of, you know, creative, you know, cultural kind of, you know, part of the country. And we are we are expecting, you know, people who work for us or work, you know, I mean, or work, you know, for us in, in any respect to, to sort of to, to earn less than they can kind of live on. It's still shockingly bad, um, uh, particularly and notably um, the expectancy of many different kind of uh, cultural and creative industries expecting young people to come in and work for very, very little, almost nothing, you know I mean, to, to kind of to make their first stand in it. So, so yeah, that that that's you know, if we if we you know we wanting to look to kind of diversify you know our industry, wanting to kind of try and find a way of making social mobility a you know a thing that's part of it. If we wanted to try and bring in people from working class backgrounds and whatnot, then then yeah, that that's something that we need to we need to sort out and pretty damn quick. Yeah, so that clearly is, creates huge barriers of entry for for people who don't don't come from money. I mean, Satch, do you think the creative industries as a whole are, are basically propped up by this early free labour or uh, what's your experience? Yeah, I, I really agree um, and resonate with everything that Stu said. And I think the worst is the old kind of do it for exposure chestnut, which I, I mean, you're talking about people entering the industry. I still get it all the time. It's crazy. Like the amount of talks or panels or awards or anything that I'm asked to do, but expected to do it for free. And things like awards can be super time consuming because you might be looking through hundreds and hundreds of entries. And if it's video, then it's like even longer kind of time. And you're sort of expected to do it for free, despite a lot of these prestigious award companies charging X amount for the entries in the first place. 
So I think it's really important to establish your worth in this industry, whether that's your ideas, your vision, your expertise. And when someone wants you to do something for them, I think that your time shouldn't be worth nothing. I'd really sort of advise anyone in this industry to ensure that they get paid for anything and everything that they do. I think I, I think only once in my career I've been offered to be paid for a, a panel discussion and I was so surprised by it that I ended up donating it to charity because I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was insane. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, the exposure doesn't pay the bills and I just think it's quite unfair to expect people's time without giving them anything in return. And I also think that as more and more people accept these exposure-based gigs, the expectation across the industry is that everyone should do these things for free. And that really, really does need to change. Yes. Do you, I feel it's, there has been some improvement. I mean, there were points when people would contact, like quite major brands would contact Creative Review and say, we'd like to do a competition. You're the prize. So it would be for illustrators or photographers and so on. And the prize would would be that your work would be used in their campaign, which seemed incredibly... Uh, I don't know how Stu and Kat feel about this, but I also think the same about pitching to clients. I feel like there needs to be a new model introduced and I don't know how to work it out. But I receive briefs from agencies all the time where you're competing against a number of others and the amount of work that they expect you to put in for free with no guarantee of winning the job can be insane. Like a recent one, I was expected to come up with 20 ideas and we were pitching against 15 other agencies. So that client was effectively receiving 300 ideas for free. And I just think there needs to be a much better model for this as creators are constantly putting their hearts and souls into coming up with ideas and executions. And sometimes they don't even hear back at all. Like if you're not paying someone for their time, at least have the courtesy to thank them for it and provide them with feedback. I agree. Also very similar boat to you, Sash. And um yeah, I mean, that's another, gosh, uh, agreed. I mean, even just getting an email back when you've done all that would be. Would yeah. Be really cool. <laughs> but um, you just, I think you're like, I've just put in like days of work for that, you know? Yeah, exactly. uh, I think it's really interesting, though, that we started talking about um, entry into design and then we sort of segued into sort of more, you know, what you do when you're more established. And I think it's interesting that I always used to think, yeah, free internships. And uh, and thankfully, also, she were one of those eight living wage <laughs> which I'm pleased to say. So we got our accreditation uh, a few months ago. But um, I think it's, yeah, I think as an intern, the expectations were that you'd work for free and that has changed um, somewhat. I, a bit of a curveball, this one, and um, this touched on your point, Sash, about when you're um, also being asked for exposure. But I was reading the other day about interns or juniors um, and graduates actually being charged um, money by directors to look at their portfolios. And this set off an entire big like LinkedIn storm of people protesting against it. And, and I was like, oh, gosh, you know, that's a bit odd, you know, because you should, you know, you shouldn't really, you, sh you can't do that to graduates. You can't. But then it's funny, isn't it? Because it, like you said, if you have to, you know, do, say, four uh, portfolio reviews, uh, you know, and that takes a couple of hours during your day, you know, at what point do you draw that line? If you're doing exposure, you, you know, you should, be, you should be paid if you're helping people up, you know. So it's about carving out where you can um, donate your time because time essentially is money, isn't it? Um, at the end of the day. Um, and so like where to donate and then where to demand basically. And, and like having that juggle, especially when you're really busy. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but it is true. It's a problem across like all the different tiers, I think for sure. Uh, but thankfully, I think on the intern level, um, I think if you are an intern entering the design industry and someone doesn't pay you, I think you need to look for somewhere else. 
Yeah, I think it's this question. Of, I, I would totally agree about interns. I think this question of working for free um, is complicated in the sense that um, seemed easy with the question of the illustration, uh, like a big brand doing an illustration competition. You know, for me, that feels categorically that they're just, you know, they're a, a company can amply afford it. And uh, and then they're sort of, uh, you know, taking a mick. Uh, it seems straightforward there, I think. And then similarly, it seems straightforward to me that if, um, you know, someone very experienced and, and pretty well paid is charging graduates for their time, that that feels wrong. There is a whole bulk of stuff in the middle. I mean, for example, we haven't paid you to appear on this podcast. And I'm now thinking, oh, will you go away and, and be questioning of that? And there's this kind of whole bulk of grey areas. And I've done lots of projects for people over the years that I've done kind of, I suppose, to keep relationships going, to help people out, to be collaborative, to try and oil the wheels of my career, but also kind of be part of something with other people. And sometimes I think when that all comes down to money, it's um, that can be complicated too. Does that make sense? I, you know, it's a, there's a sort of area where, you know, you can all benefit from things without it being... Um, exploitation on that Eliza I feel like um I'm quite picky with what I say yes to and I obviously said yes to this um and that was more because I think if it's going to help other people and it's going to be beneficial to other people then I'm more than happy to do it I think where it frustrates me is when it's a company that's making lots of money so for example an awards thing is a good place where you're people paying 500 pounds plus to enter an award that awards company's making loads of money but they want their judges to judge it for free I find that quite frustrating because they're making lots and lots and lots of money from those awards and so I think when when a company is trying to sell something or or makes make money from something and not paying people because ultimately you want us here for our expertise and our experience and our knowledge and you've selected candidates for those reasons so I think you know that expertise and knowledge has a value so I think if the end result is for that company to be making lots of money off us coming to speak then we should be paid fairly for our time and I think that's a fair request uh, I mean, it's difficult to disagree with what I said. I mean, I've always, I've always been of, you know, the, the belief that, that, yeah, if there's, I mean, you know, you know someone wants to tell me about pie, right? This, this sense of like, you know, performance, um, you know, exposure and uh, image, I mean, and like, and the, the realities of like how you'd sort of move on in your career and like, and it's some depressingly kind of performances about 10% images about 40% and exposure is like 50% something you know extraordinary like that in which you know I can I can I can very easily and quickly see why why folk would you know I mean want to do things in which their name is associated with and attached to things um it's difficult to disagree with with with, with Sasha's point though about actually when when the when a company is is actually making good money and good profit from it is that then based on other people giving up their time honestly you know personally speaking if i'm getting something back from that which is that the exposure of having been able to judge those things then i'm going to accept do you know what i mean that that cut that that comes with it in the same way that when one of my senior creatives recently says i've been asked to judge you know dna d new blood i'm delighted for her because you know I mean it actually didn't just you know I mean get her learning about the, the, the assessment of and judging of stuff, but also it kind of put, put her name about and for junior creators kind of coming up and, and into the industry. So to me, it's a slightly great. Honestly, honestly, though, like I think it, the real thing that I, I, I just to say again, and we, so it, the, the problem we really have as an industry though is that of paying people. You know, when they enter into it, a anyone who can't survive or can't live. Um, as a result of working in this industry. Personally, that's where I think our energy is better spent 
sort of discussing and 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 sorting out uh quite frankly because it's kind of shocking it is just it's just shocking and um I should have said Kat. I'm really sorry because yeah, Howard Howe is sitting right there on this list of design agencies right in front of me, alongside Rufus Leonard and Shoot the Moon and whatnot, and alongside then a very few others. Do you know what I mean? So I really should have credited you with that. But uh, but yeah, that that that's I think where 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 our focus should really be is getting because it's so easy. It's so easy to become living wage accredited. It's it's you know all you need to do is go. Am I making? Yeah. Do do, do, do I want to run a company that it, it runs on people? not ultimately surviving that are working for me or working, you know, that are being sort of licensed out. It's dead, dead simple. That conversation is an easy one to have. And, and anyway, we're, we're going to sort it out in, in time. It'll, it'll, it'll all be fine eventually. Okay. I feel like this is a, a good moment to wrap up. I was going to end by asking you all to say if you could change one thing, because I feel this conversation has highlighted so many complex issues really Stu I'm sort of guessing that your one thing would be for for all companies in the industry to be accredited would would I am I fair in saying that 1000% it's like and look I'm going to come knocking on doors I'm going to come kind of kicking on people and and nudging people that quite frankly should be on here do you mean the Adam Neves and the BBHs and the whatnots of this world alongside the big design agencies that it's a it's kind of embarrassing they're not on and so that's going to be sorted so we're gonna we need to kick a few people and if we can sort that out which which we will, um, then uh, I think that would be a, a damn, damn good start to sorting out some of our other ills. Yes, absolutely. So, Kat, what, you've obviously done quite a lot within your own studio on this, but what, what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see the same level of transparency elsewhere, or, or what else would you like to see? Girls paid, same as boys, always. Girls paid, same as boys. And and just to reduce that stress and worry, um, that, that, that people have when asking for for a pay rise and and just n- not having that even part of the conversation and it just being like let's just get down to like producing some great work and let's just all you know um, earn good money for what we do and not have to worry um, about anything else that would be about 10 different things but <laughs> in a nutshell girls girls same as boys yeah yeah all, all good ones and such coming to you last what would you really like to see I mean, I think I said it before, but mine would definitely be to close all gaps. No more gaps. There's no need for them at all. We need to just shut them all down. Absolutely. All right. On that clear note, we are going to close this up for now. I'm sure we will return to this subject at another point. I'd like to thank all my guests, Satch, Kat, Stu, for coming on to Creativity Sucks. And thank you all for listening. You can find all the other episodes we've done in all the places you usually find your podcasts. Please like and share us if you've enjoyed this. It really does help. But thanks for listening. 